morning. You know, I don't know how you walked through those doors just a few moments ago, what was on your heart, what is burdening your soul these days, but I just want to let you know that it's, if it's fear or anxiety or worry, if it's some habit in your life that is holding you captive and leaving you with a sense of shame or guilt, if, it, if it's your own selfishness and, and its consequences in your life, whatever it may be, I want you to understand that freedom, true liberation, is here. And his name is Jesus Christ. And if in faith you will wrap your arms around him and entrust yourself to him by walking with him in simple faith and obedience, he will set you free. From whatever it is that is holding you in bondage, he will set you free. That's who he is. His name means Savior. He does these things. This is who he is. This is what he does. All you need to do is embrace him with your heart and your life. Friends, that's what we've been talking about through this series that we've been doing through the summer called the Book of Galatians. The book of Galatians was written by none other than the Apostle Paul to a handful of churches that are in southern modern-day Turkey. And he was writing to them to tell them to stand fast in the freedom that Christ has set you free with. Jesus Christ went to the cross and there earned a hard-earned freedom through sacrificing his own life. And he gave his life to us. And if we would but faith embrace that life, we're given freedom. But the people he was writing to, the the folks in southern Galatia, the Galatians as they're referred to here, what they were doing is they were letting go of this relationship with Jesus Christ, and they were now going to go over here, and they were going to get uh, uh, involved again with rituals and rules and religion. And his whole point is, don't let go of a relationship with Jesus for religion. You'll just find yourself in another form of bondage again. So we've been unpacking this letter together of our freedom in Christ ultimately to express love to others. Last week we finished up the first section uh, of this letter, chapters 1 and 2, which is really the personal section or the autobiographical section from the Apostle Paul, where he was making it very clear through his own personal experience and other experiences that he had had that my gospel is the gospel of good news of grace. Today we now slip over into the second major uh, section out of the three in the book where we move on from the personal appeal from my gospel is the gospel of grace to the theological appeal or it is experienced, this gospel of mine, by faith and not obedience to the law. Over the next number of weeks, Paul is going to take us into a bit more of a doctrinal uh, focus on this issue of freedom in Christ. And he's going to go back and look at the Old Testament scriptures and he's going to show us that it's always been by faith through grace. It has always been by faith through grace. And that what the Judaizers were seeking to do was an anomaly to what God's plan was. So today, we're going to kind of tackle this section. And we're going to talk about the fact that the law cannot bring life. Only faith in Christ can. And we're actually going to look at verses 3, 1 through 5 together. Where Paul is telling the Galatian believers, you know this is true even by your own personal experience. 
So if you have your Bibles today, join me today in Galatians chapter 3 as we kind of unpack the first five verses together. If you didn't bring a Bible, uh, the words are right here. If you would permit me to read these, we'll have a word of prayer, and then we're going to consider what Paul has to say to the Galatians, because what he says to them, we need to hear ourselves. So notice what he says. Oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit, capital S meaning the Holy Spirit, by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Holy Spirit, you are now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit, the Holy Spirit to you, and works miracles among you, did he do it by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Notice, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Lots and lots of questions. Let's pray together. Father, this morning I pray that uh, we would be able to hear your voice speaking to us through your word. And right now, Father, I just admit my own inability to communicate effectively uh, your truth. It really needs to be the Holy Spirit taking your word and bearing it to each one's heart. And so I ask right now that you would make your words plain today to us, I pray, in Jesus Christ's name. And the people of God this morning said, amen, amen. Amen. Questions, questions, questions. It is said that Socrates, the great Greek philosopher, that his great brilliance was not so much in that he just knew everything, but that Socrates had the ability to always seemingly ask the right question. It's interesting how just the right question has a way of bringing individuals, us, people, face-to-face with the truth, and not just the truth, but often the truth about ourselves. You know, the interesting thing is, nobody was better at this than Jesus. You'll discover as you read the works of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how his life was played out in those books, that you'll discover that Jesus often answered questions with questions. That's just who he was. Good master, how do I find eternal life? Well, how do the scriptures read? It's not what he asked. He wanted to know the answer, but he wouldn't let him off with that. He had to bring him face to face with his own truth. And again, hey, uh, to whom do we pay taxes, Jesus? Well, do you have a coin? Here. Oh, whose inscription's on it? This is Jesus. Jesus was always plying good questions to individuals because questions have the ability not just to show us the truth, but often to show us the truth about ourselves. And so here, in Galatians chapter 3, we have the Apostle Paul asking question after question after question after question. These are all basically rhetorical questions because he knew they knew the answers. They just had to be brought face to face with it so that they could actually see the truth in their own lives. And so we're going to unpack some of these questions. And there's a number of questions, but there's basically three questions that he's asking. And the first question is actually found in in verse 1 of chapter 5. And notice how he begins. Oh, foolish Galatians. How to win friends and influence people, right? 
This is the Apostle Paul. It's like he wants to punch you and then talk to you. This, this is how he, he does this here. And he does this for a very good reason. He's trying to get their attention. But you know, if you were to look in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10, you would discover that Paul's adversaries, the people who were against him, known as the Judaizers, that one of their contentions about the Apostle Paul was that he was a man-pleaser. He seemingly was always telling people what they wanted to hear so that they would follow him. But if you actually read what Paul says, he's hardly a man-pleaser. Last week, he put it up, Peter, the apostle Peter, in a crowded room of people, and called him down. That doesn't sound like a man-pleaser to me. And here he opens up with what words? Oh, Galatians. It's like, oh, oh, wow, what, who? So what Paul is doing is he's, getting, he's trying to get them to wake up. He's trying to get their attention. So the word foolish here doesn't mean a, like a moron. Uh, there is a Greek word moronos, which actually means somebody who's incapable of understanding, somebody who lacks understanding, uh, somebody that would be often referred to as like an imbecile or an idiot. Uh, that's not the word Paul uses. Paul uses the word that's the opposite of wise, You see, you know the truth, and you're not applying it to your lives. Therefore, you're living as a fool, one who is failing to use their their head, and the results is that they think and they behave foolishly. And Paul is saying basically to them, you know better. You know better. Why is it that you are letting go of this freedom in Christ, this relationship with Jesus by faith alone and Christ alone? Why are you letting that go? And now you're wanting to go over and get involved again in the Old Testament religious rites and rituals. Why are you doing this? You know better is what he's basically trying to get them to come to grips with. Notice how he puts it here. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The word portrayed literally means a portrait. What Paul is saying is this, when I was with you back, and you can read this in Acts chapter 13, when I was with you back in Acts chapter 13, I painted for you a very vivid picture of the Son of God, the Savior of the world, sent from the Father, who was crucified by the elders in Jerusalem according to the wisdom and plan of God, and there he died on the cross bearing your sin so that you could be forgiven without the law. Only by faith. And Paul is saying, I painted you a vivid picture. And then it says, he publicly put it out there. And so the idea is walking by a mammoth billboard that's so stark that you can't help but notice it. Walking down the road, whoa. That's what he's saying. I publicly portrayed for you Christ and Christ crucified. Faith alone and Christ alone. And what are you doing? I don't get this. What are you thinking? And so he says, I have painted for you this very public, explicit picture of Jesus Christ. And again, you can look at that discussion or those words that he preached in Acts chapter 13. Later, right after he finished preaching in Antioch of Pisidia, it said that he and Barnabas hung around for a week. And during that week, they were answering questions and confirming the truth about Christ and faith alone in Christ. And then we're told at the end of Acts chapter 14, after Paul and Barnabas had finished their trek through southern Turkey, that they had come back all the way to that city in Antiochus City, and they reconfirmed everything that they had just taught them. So Paul's saying, I proclaimed the truth. You accepted it by faith. I, I spoke with you for a week about it. 
Then we came back and reconfirmed that you're standing in it. I don't get it. I don't get it. It's almost as if you're in some kind of hypnotic trance. It's almost as if the Judaizers, my adversaries, seem to have a spell on you. How else could you explain the Galatian believers no longer walking in simple faith and trust in Christ who had, who had bought their freedom and secured it at the cost of his own life on the cross and now they want to go back into bondage to the Mosaic Law? What's the word Paul uses there in chapter 3 in verse 1? Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched? When I read that word, something came to mind. Maybe it did for you too. years or older to even know what that means. So some of you are sitting there thinking, what on earth is that all about? Yeah, it's the old television series that used to run, I don't remember the channel, but it ran from 1964 to 1972. So you can be about 45, I'm 50-ish-ish. And, and so I remember it a little bit watching it over those years. That was put together by some church as kind of their intro into the series uh, on Galatians. But Paul's contention is this. What are you doing? You know better. You know clearly that the truth was expressed to you, and you embraced it. It's almost as if you have been bewitched, that you're in a hypnotic trance. And so his opening words here, Oh, foolish Galatians! The New Jerusalem Bible translates those words from the Greek into the English, You stupid people of Galatia. Do you know what he's doing? He's, he's trying to snap him out of it. He's trying to wake him up. Wake up! What do you think you're doing? You know better. I'm trying to get you to come out of the trance that it seems the Judaizers have put you in, that you would walk away from a relationship with Jesus by faith and embrace religion again. You know better. That's what the first verse is about here. Paul trying to get their attention. I'm curious this morning. Does God have your attention today? Does God have your attention today? You know, that's not a moot point. Uh, Jesus would often qualify his statements before he would proclaim them by saying this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We all have ears, but not everybody's willing to listen. And I think part of the challenge is when we start coming to church on a consistent basis, we can kind of, you know, do that little spiritual siesta. We've gotten really good at kind of putting up our spiritual feet and kind of our eyes are at half-mast and we kind of glaze over and the pastor looks at us and we look like we're fully awake, but actually we're fully asleep. It's a gift. It's a gift. And it's, it's one of those things that you learn being in church a long time. It's very easy to kind of get in this hypnotic trance. Oh, we're in church. Oh, we're out of church. And I just want to encourage you today that if you're here and you're in that hypnotic state, wake up! Wake up, please! 
Because God has something he wants to say to you. He has a question for you through Paul that will not only bring you face to face with the truth, but it actually will bring you to the truth about yourself today. So Paul moves on now that I think he's gotten their attention. I think they're highly offended the way that he has just dealt with them. Fools, stupid. And now that he's got their attention, notice what he says. This moves us from the opening rebuke, if you will, now to the first statement he really wants them to dwell on. Let me ask you only this. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit, capital S, by the works of law, by religious rituals or good deeds, or by hearing with faith? You see, what Paul is doing to the Galatian believers is he's asking them to think back to their salvation experience. He's asking them to kind of let their minds drift back to that time, that special time where they received Christ. Now here it says, received the Spirit. That is equivalent to being born again in Paul's terminology. That's equivalent to being converted or saved in Pauline theology, the way he thinks. In fact, Paul used similar terms concerning the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. Listen to what he says. Listen, (laughs) sorry, to what he says. Those who are in the flesh, that is unconverted, unsaved, cannot please God. You, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. He was writing to the people in Rome. If, in fact, that the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So there's a very intense sense here that when one comes to grips with the truth of God's word and embraces Christ by faith, that the Holy Spirit enters into that person and regenerates them. And the Holy Spirit takes up residence in a life. So to have the Spirit or receive the Spirit is equivalent to having Christ and being born again. And so Paul loves to use the indwelling Spirit of God to speak of the reality of one's salvation experience. In Romans 8, again, verse 16, he said this, The Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, will bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit will actually make real to us in our heart of hearts that indeed salvation is real, that we have a relationship with the living God. Paul says in Galatians 6, and we'll talk a lot about the Holy Spirit as we move into the rest of the letter. Galatians 6, chapter 4 and verse 6, I'm sorry. He says that because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. The intimacy, the nearness, the beauty of relationship is what the Holy Spirit does when we embrace Christ by faith. And so Paul will talk a lot more about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit's active in salvation, but also in making us like the person of Jesus Christ. He'll say in chapter 5 of Galatians, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, resulting in what's called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the evidences of the reality of the Holy Spirit being in the life of one who has been rightly connected to Jesus Christ. You know, we have had a very brilliant 
a very brilliant ex, uh, expression of that this past week. I think every one of us has heard about what's happened down in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, at the Emanuel AME Church, how the gunman came in and shot the pastor and eight other worshipers, and what you saw come out of this church. In the days later, after they caught the young man who had perpetrated this, is you saw them come to him and express to him not just their grief, but you heard them express to him their love and their forgiveness and their desire for him to repent and know the one who has changed their lives. You see, that's a work of the Holy Spirit in a heart. And, uh, you know, President Obama this past week, when he heard about these, these, these folks making this statement, he goes, isn't that a beautiful example of the American spirit? And can I be honest with you? No, it's not. It is a beautiful expression of the indwelling Holy Spirit in the lives of true believers of Jesus Christ. That's what that is. So Paul talks a lot about the work of the Holy Spirit and how he transforms us, converts us, and then transforms us. And so he's telling the Galatian believers, I want you to think back. I want you to think back in your experience to where you were saved, to when you were converted. And the question is this. Were you born again by doing good works? Or were you made right with God when you reached out in faith and embraced the Son of God, Jesus Christ? And it's a rhetorical question. They know the answer. They had spent years in trying to do the right things and attending synagogue and listening to the law of God being read and trying to do good. And it never changed them. But when Paul came through and proclaimed Jesus and him sacrificed in faith alone and Christ alone by grace alone, they received Christ. And now there's a change in them. So they don't doubt really what the truth is here. They know that it is only by faith in Jesus Christ. So my question to you is, what about you? What about you? Wait a second. Maybe I need to do this right now. Wake up. Wake up. Are you with me? Are you with me? I hope so. I hope so. Looking back in your life, were you converted? Were you saved? Were you born again by doing good works? Religion? Or you made right with God when you reached out in faith and embraced Jesus Christ. You see, Paul knew they had such an experience when they looked back because he brought them the message. He remembers very well what he went through to bring them the truth of Jesus. And he saw the resulting work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness with their spirit that they belonged to Jesus. He knew they had that. I guess my question to you is, do you have a salvation experience as you look back on your life, do you remember the person who brought you the message of God's love found in Jesus? You should. You really should. Whether old or young, quite frankly, uh, because salvation is meant to be a memorable experience and it should result in the confirming work of the Holy Spirit in your heart and life, making it real to you that you are God's child. And so I'll ask you again, do you have such a time as you look back into the recesses of your memory, into the past, 
Do you have such a time? Do you have such a moment? Do you have such an experience where you remember the initiation of your relationship with Jesus Christ and perhaps the subsequent confirmation of the Holy Spirit indwelling in you? Do you have that? You know, I think everyone should. I really believe you should. My wife, Bambi, who's now in Maine with her family, with her father for Father's Day, so she's not here, so don't tell her I'm talking about her, okay? Can we make a pact right now? Can you go like this? Okay, thank you. My wife, thanks, my wife uh, grew up in the church. And at such a young, tender age, she made an expression of faith. She's always heard of Jesus. She's always known about Jesus. And so she grew up with, with a faith in what she knew. And she went away to Word of Life Bible Institute uh, when she was in her late, ni- about 19, early 20s. And, and she, she was challenged by a man of God by the name of Wendell Calder, a man who played a huge role in my life. He's an evangelist. He's a pro, 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 proclaimer of God's truth. And he challenged the people there that if you do not have a time that you can look back to where you have actually owned the faith that your parents have shown you, If you don't have a time in your life where you have said, Jesus, I'm all yours. Jesus, I surrender to you. If you don't have a memory marker like that, you need to. And right there at Word of Life, my wife was 20 years old, but she had grown up in the church. She said, I'm no longer going to doubt. I'm just going to do this. And right there that day, as Wendell Calder was proclaiming the word of truth, she made it confirmed in her heart, now is the day, now is the time where I make my stand that Jesus Christ is my Savior, not just the Savior my church told me about or my parents showed me. And so I think everyone, everyone should have that moment in their lives where they recall making that decision. And I pray it's followed up by the confirming work of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have such a time in your life, if you don't have such a memory marker, why not now? Why not now? You can. You really can. Right now, you can have a memory marker of putting faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, let me help you to understand what faith, saving faith, really is. Now, I'm going to use an illustration that's an old illustration, literally, uh, but it really helps, I think, help us to appreciate what it means to put faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so as it goes, this illustration to help you have this memory marker in your life of putting faith and trust in Jesus Christ, as this illustration goes, it involves a Frenchman by the name of Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin uh, was an acrobat and a tightrope walker. He was a very gifted showman. This guy was amazing. Don't you like the tights? Aren't they awesome? This is a very old photo. As the story goes, in 1859, Charles Blondin boarded a ship and came over to the United States of America, and he traveled up to Niagara Falls, where he stretched a three-inch wire over the gorge, the rushing falls, and there on the suspended wire, he walked 1,100 feet from one side to the other. And to the amazement of the crowd, he then just turned right around and walked all the way back across. Now, I told you that he was a showman because he went on to cross blindfolded. He went on to cross with a sack on his head. He went on to cross over again, pushing a wheelbarrow back and forth. He walked across on stilts. 
He also went halfway out and sat down on the wire and cooked and ate an omelet. Then he grabbed a chair, walked out into the middle, and stood on a chair with one leg on the rope and balanced perfectly over the falls. Got down and walked off the end of the rope. And so, Mr. Blondin, as the story goes, he asked for a show of hands of how many people believe that he could carry a man over on his back. Everybody's like, yeah! And the words they said was, again and again. He had so shown them that he was good at this, and they knew that he could do this. And so as the story goes, Mr. Blondin pointed to a man, and he said this, if you truly believe, then, sir, let me carry you over the falls. To which the man promptly refused. You see, he believed, but he was unwilling to entrust himself to Blondin. So finding no true believers in the crowd on whether it was the Canadian side or the American side, I don't know. I think it could have been on either side, quite frankly. What he did was he had his manager, Harry Conclord, climb up on his back, and he carried his manager across the tightrope. I don't know that he ever saw that coming. But this is faith. True faith in Christ trusts Christ. But it doesn't just trust Christ. It entrusts one's life and limb to Jesus. If you will, you are to climb onto Jesus' back by faith. And you trust him to carry you where you cannot go by your own efforts or good intentions. So when we talk about putting faith in Jesus, this is what it means. Jesus, I entrust myself to you. That's true biblical saving faith. If you do not have a memory marker in your life of when you were converted or saved or born again, I want to give you this moment. So I want to invite you to bow your heads with me. Everyone, please, just bow your head with me. I know a number of you have a memory marker, and you don't need another one. But some of you do not have one. So right now, with your head bowed in the presence of God, you can express your desire to entrust yourself to Christ with some simple words. And I'll give you some, but feel free to add your own as God works in your heart. Something simple like this. Jesus, I need you. The gorge between me and God is vast. And I cannot span it. But I know you did when you died for me on the cross. And right now, letting go of all my efforts and good intentions, I simply trust you as my Savior and my Lord. In fact, I entrust you, Jesus, with my life. Thank you, Jesus. Now confirm your work of new birth in my heart by your spirit so that I can have the inner witness that I am a child of God. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Awesome! 
Now some of you have today to look back to as the day where you entrusted yourself to Jesus Christ. By the way, it is Father's Day, June the 21st, uh, 2015. It is a day that you can look back to where God, through faith alone and Christ alone, by God's grace alone, saved you, converted you, or have helped you to become born again as His Holy Spirit has entered into your heart. And I want to encourage you to ask God to give you confirmation of the reality of your salvation experience. So what Paul does is he he now moves on and he says, listen, you foolish Galatians, now that I've got your attention, let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by the hearing of faith? And they had to admit, Paul, it was by faith alone, not by works of law or good works or anything that I could do. But notice what he goes on to say in verses 3 through 5. This is the last question. Are you so foolish, Paul is asking them, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that you are now trying to be perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Holy Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of law or by the hearing of faith? And so this last little set of questions, what Paul is is asking them to consider What Paul is bringing the truth to bear for them to see face-to-face in the truth about themselves is simply this. The question is, how does one now grow in this thing called the Christian life? You see, that's really the gist of what Galatians is about. Galatians is not so much about how do you get into the family of God, even though we've spoken at length about that. The question of Galatians is really now, how does one go on in the Christian life until either the Lord returns or a person dies? And again, this is a rhetorical question given to them because they already knew the answer. And the answer is, by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. You see, the same way you get in is the same way you go on. That is the crux of the matter. Oh, go back to our illustration. Uh, that, that, that place where Blondin is carrying Henry Conclord, his manager, over the falls. Think about this with me for a second. So let's say they're halfway across, and all of a sudden the manager says to Blondin, Hey, look, I appreciate that you've taken me this far, but I think I've got it from I think I get it. I think I understand how this works, so just let me down and I'll take it from here. How many would say that's not a good idea? Yeah, yeah, he would be a dead manager at that point. And the point of the story, I think, is well taken. Not only do we climb onto Jesus' back to span between here and heaven, but it's how we get from here to there. It is the same thing. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. Any other efforts, any other means are not part of God's intended plan for his people. I'm going I'm to lay into this just for a few minutes. Let me just get an eye on the time. Okay, I'm going to lay into this just for a few minutes because I think this is one of those places where believers kind of get off track. I think we can get off track. You see, once you have come to faith, uh, once you have come to Jesus by faith, how do you grow? How do you get the rest of the way? How, now that I have been justified, declared righteous before God, how is it that I am to be sanctified or made holy and live in love like Jesus as our church's mission talks about? I think a lot of us act like we're saved by faith, but then now it's up to us 
to go on and grow. We believe we get into the Christian life by God's grace, but then it's up to us. It's a little bit like the tightrope walker. I think I'll take it from here. Not a good idea. And so, too, I think in our understanding of what it means to grow in the Lord, it's not a good idea to move beyond faith alone and Christ alone by God's grace alone. It's how you get in, that's how you go on. It's all about, please hear me, it's all about having a relationship of trust with Jesus Christ. We begin, uh, we are born again, our our relationship uh, initiates when we begin that walk of uh, faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and it will only grow as we continue to trust and walk with Christ in a relationship with him. I don't think anybody said it any better than did a guy by the name of Jesus. Jesus said this, and I love these words from Christ. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, he said this, Come to me. I love that phrase. Come to me, Jesus says. I want you to come to me. All of you who labor and are heavy laden. This is a reference to those Pharisees who have been trying to bear the yoke of the law, trying to do all the right things, trying to be good, trying to do all this stuff, and failing all the time. They're burdened by this. Come to me. Come to me, Jesus said. All you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. What a great word. Take my yoke on you. Become connected to me, Jesus said. And learn from me. Grow in relationship with me is what Jesus is saying. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So Jesus says, come to me. It's an expression of desire to have relationship with Christ. If you will come to me and be yoked to me, connected to me, and learn of me, grow in this relationship with me, I'll give you rest for your souls. And then the same Jesus that says this, come to me, is the same Jesus that now says, follow me. This is how we're sanctified. This is how we grow in relationship with Jesus. It begins by coming and in simple trust, embracing and learning and growing. And then we continue to follow Christ. We walk with him. We grow with him. We understand him more and more. And it's a relationship of trust. It just doesn't make any sense. And this is what the Galatians were guilty of. They came to Jesus by faith and said, thank you, Jesus. And now they were leaving the relationship to go back to religion. That doesn't make any sense. If you got in by faith and trust in Christ alone, by grace alone, you should go on like that and stop just trying to do your own thing or trying to get better or or just... It's about a relationship with Jesus. It's about a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself by all means. Take up his cross and follow me. So you get in. You get saved, you get converted, you get born again by faith alone and Christ alone, by God's grace alone. And you go on, you grow in the relationship with Jesus exactly the same way. By faith in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. Let me ask you a question. This will be for those who have known Christ for some time now. How's your growth in Jesus going? How's your growth in Jesus going? I think many of us start off with great bang. Woo, this is awesome. Jesus is amazing. Look at this. And then it seems to just ebb away. The next thing we know, we're going through the paces, aren't we? 
I come to church. I give him money. I try to serve in a ministry. I try to do all these good things. But they aren't what make the relationship grow. It is the relationship and daily trust in walking in faith and love with Christ that grows that relationship. We can actually leave Jesus over here and do all these things. And so my question to you is, where are you at in your walk with Jesus? Are you meeting with him daily, hearing his voice? Are you talking to him all the time in prayer? Is the Holy Spirit continuing to convict and convince you and to lead you into the paths of righteousness? Or have you left the relationship and moved into religion? This is the danger. This is what they were about to fall into. And this is what Paul is warning us we need to be careful not to do. Is to leave the relationship with Jesus and just get involved in doing a bunch of good things. That will never grow you in Christ. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And we are sanctified by faith alone in Christ alone. And it is all by God's grace. Our part in all of this is simply to trust him. In the easy days and in the hard ones. Finding in him our highest good and goal. And day by day, as we walk with Jesus in relationship, we are transformed into his likeness. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, As we see and begin to reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. It begins with a relationship, and it grows in that relationship. And you say, that sounds too easy. That's too easy. That can't be real. That can't be right. That's just too easy. Well, uh, just trusting in Jesus and, you know, somehow he'll change your life. And all I can say is it may seem too simple, but it is not easy. And some of you are sitting there going like this because you know exactly what I'm talking about. It may seem simple to trust Jesus, but it is not easy trusting Jesus. In fact, it's going to be one of the hardest things you will ever have to do.
I like the third verse. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus just from sin and self to cease. That's the message of the, go- of the gospel and of Galatians. Just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. In spite of the circumstances, in spite of the trials, it is a relationship of trust in Christ that grows us in this thing called the Christian life. Salvation and sanctification are by faith alone, in Christ alone, by the grace of God alone. Questions. Questions are amazing things. Questions have a way of revealing truth. Not just truth, but truth about ourselves. Question number one. When it comes to your eternal destiny, are you trusting in your good works or Jesus and his finished work for you on the cross? Only you know the answer to that. Only you. Question number two. When it comes to the Christian life, are you trusting in all your efforts or Jesus and simply following him day by day in a relationship of trust? You see, the heart of the matter is simply this. Salvation and sanctification are all about a relationship with Jesus based solely on trust. And all God's people said... That's the truth, friends. And I don't know where you stand in relationship to it, but whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, I hope you'll be responsive too. I'm going to pray for us, and then we have a baptism to conclude our service with.